Revelation chapter 5 closes. With Christ at center stage holding this sealed scroll in His hand. And the question is, what's in the scroll? Let's get this thing open. Let's get this accomplished. How will God's kingdom come? How will His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, as we turn to chapter 6, we're going to quickly find that God is not going to quickly answer that question. He's not going to reveal right away what's in the scroll. He's going to get there in several chapters in the book of Revelation. But first, he wants to begin to reveal what's going on on earth. What's happening? What's, what's going on around this particular scroll that he could equip us to persevere in our witness to Christ. And that's really the heart of the passage this morning is that we, you, friend, would persevere in your witness to Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. Three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, 
and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Father, we pray that you would grant us your Holy Spirit. That we could understand hard things. And believe hard things. And be transformed by your word for your glory. Amen. What's in the scroll? How is God's kingdom going to come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We didn't know at the beginning of the chapter and we don't know at the end of the chapter. Remember there were seven seals on the scroll? This chapter opens six of them, which means the scroll is still, still sealed. And until that is broken, you can't unroll it and look at what's inside. So what we're hearing here is not the revelation of what's in the scroll. Not yet. That's coming. We're not getting the content of the scroll. We're getting the context of the scroll. This is what is happening upon the earth as the scroll gets revealed. History is moving. Events are occurring. And the seal's picture what God is doing in this world. The first four of them go together. Revealing what is happening in our world. You may have heard of them before. They are often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And here they are. Verses 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. Its rider had a bow. A crown was given to him, and he out, came out conquering and to conquer. So the Lamb opens the first seal. Who's opening the seals? The Lamb is opening the seals. Who sealed the scroll? God sealed the scroll. So this is a picture right now. What's happening? Jesus is executing his Father's will upon the planet. That's what's happening right here. Jesus is the one accomplishing what God wants to accomplish on the planet. So he opens the first scroll. And as he does, one of those four living creatures speaks. Remember the four living creatures? They're around the throne. They've got the face of the lion and of the eagle, and of the ox, and of the man. And they, they fly around the throne, and they never cease to cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But one of them turns, and in a loud voice like thunder proclaims, Come! And in response to that, a rider on a white horse comes and is seen by John. This rider is conquest. He comes out conquering and to conquer, given a bow with which to conquer, a crown symbolizing victory. The, the Romans, when they would go to war and, and uh, they would win, 
the, the victorious general would ride back into Rome on a white horse. So the imagery here is very clear. This is a victorious king coming back into his uh, capital city. This is conquest. This is, this is the stirring up of one nation to desire to conquer another. Yes? One nation trying to build an empire. Think of Nazi Germany in the 1940s. Stirred up to try to conquer all of Europe. They were not the first. They have not been the last. There will be many more. People vying for power and seeking to conquer. The second seal is opened and the second rider rides out. Verse 4. Out came another horse bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. Peace taken from the earth. We all know what this looks like. This, this, is, this could be seen very much following the first horse who's stirring up that spirit of conquest one people over another. So there's, there's the war component. But there's something more than just war here. There's, there's the forces of anarchy where people are just being slain. There's suicide bombings and mass shootings. Horrible slaughter as people are stirred up and begin to kill one another. And can the red of this horse be anything other than blood? The third seal is opened, and again the command, Come, is issued from the living creatures. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Black is an ominous color for this horse. He arrives as famine. A quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius was, was a day's wages. A quart of wheat enough to make a small loaf of bread. So you could work all day and have not quite enough, but maybe just enough food for you, but not for your family. And you had to choose between spending it on that or spending it on anything else. This is something we're really familiar with. The quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarters of barley for a it, It's inflation. This is, this is inflationary prices going so far out of control. And wages aren't keeping up and people are beginning to starve. Starvation is coming behind this horse. Now the fourth seal is opened, and a fourth rider appears, verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, by wild beasts of the earth. A rider on a pale horse. Some of you in your Bible, it might have said a green horse. It's, it's, a, uh, it's the sickly, pale green color of a corpse several days after death. 
That's the color being described. And that's the name of the writer. The name of the writer is death. Death comes out onto the scene. And Hades follows death. Now, who is, what is Hades? Hades is, is the place where uh, non-believers go when they die. So when people die, right, your body goes into the earth. If you know the Lord, you are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. There's no Hades for the people of God. But for those in rebellion to God, Hades is the place that they go and await final judgment. So, we learn a couple things here. The first thing, we're, we're learning uh, who these horses are sent for. Who these riders are sent for. These are judgments not on the church per se, but on the unbelieving world. And this horse, the, the rider death comes and, and harvests people and Hades gathers them into himself. And notice the different ways that death is at work here. They're given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword. We've already heard that. With the famine. We've already heard that too. But with pestilence, wild beasts of the earth. Pestilence, disease, bubonic plague, polio, cancer, COVID. All of it. Now, we read this and we ask, so what are these writers what does this mean? And it is understandable that we want to get intellectually involved and understand what it means. But this, God's Word in the book of Revelation, is meant to be read aloud. It's meant to be heard. It's meant to be experienced. And there's something terrifying about what is happening here. Four horsemen gallop onto the stage of history. And a slaughter ensues. Conquest, war, famine, death. Fearsome and terrible, leaving a trail of corpses in their wake. These are shocking images that we are reading. And I think it's obvious to us. These are judgments. These are the judgments of God poured out upon a sinful world. These are the judgments of God poured out upon a sinful world by the Lamb as He opens the seals. Now, these are not the final judgments, which is worse. These are judgments which occur in history. They're, they're, the, they're the, the pre-judgment judgments. They're, they're there both to execute God's justice in time, but also to serve as signposts and warnings and reminders. This stuff is real. God really exists. Repent in the day of repentance. That's why these are here. They're, they're meant to call people to turn back to the living God. And they are partial judgments. They're not complete judgments. You can see that in two different ways that these are described. The first, remember the famine? 
how that affected the wheat and the barley, but not the wine and the oil. It is a partial famine that is poured out in this judgment. If it had been a full famine, no one would survive. But God pictures this for us as a partial famine. It's a partial judgment. We have to get, every day that we're here, used to the book of Revelation and how it speaks. These are symbols. And these symbols are of incomplete judgments. The other way we see it is that death and Hades, while their arrival is terrifying, they were permitted to kill not all, nor half, nor even a third, but one quarter of humanity. Now, what's interesting about this is we know, in fact, that 100% of humanity will die. Um, right? Like, we know that's the actual percentage. Not, you knew that, right? Coming in? Okay. Uh, so what's pictured here is not that just a quarter will die, but rather this is an incomplete judgment. This is a partial judgment in advance to serve as a warning for people. Warnings that the ungodly would repent. So Revelation chapter 6, friends, is a worldview-building chapter. Helps us understand the world we live in. That's why these seals are here, to explain the world that we are living in. So let's look around and apply this very briefly. We have the white horse of conquest stirred up and stirring up one people to conquer another, and we look and see Russia invading Ukraine. You say, okay, I have a biblical category for what is happening there right now. We see mass shootings in the U.S. Peace taken away. And we see evidence of the red horse and its rider galloping through history. If you're as old as I am, you grew up hearing or were old enough to hear about the famines in Ethiopia that were such a big thing back in the 80s and the 90s. And then this long famine in North Korea that took so many in the 1990s. And now we hear again of the war in Ukraine and how it's affecting the wheat harvest in Ukraine and how that's going to have an impact on third world countries in terms of famine. And we see the black horse galloping through history. And all of these leading to the terrifying pale green horse named death. So the world we live in is under the wrath of God. It is not simply awaiting the wrath of God, though that is true. It is currently under the wrath of God. That's what this is revealing to us. His wrath has already begun to be poured out in part, but truly. Partial judgments pointing to the final judgment. Church, these are, these are judgments against the world. We need to be careful how we talk about these things. Okay? So here's, uh, there's, there's two errors we need to avoid. Probably for us, honestly, the bigger one to avoid is the error of not talking about it. That's a pretty big error. If this world is indeed under the judgment of God, and we know that and don't speak of it, that is serious. 
So, when we see these kinds of events in the world, we, we see evidence of the judgment of God. Now, here's how to not talk about that, um, is to say, you know, that happened in that city because of how wicked that city is. Pointer finger, pointer finger, pointer finger. Right? And, and the Lord actually spoke about this when he was here on earth. When a tower fell in the city called Salome. And it killed 70 people. And they came to him and said, boy, Jesus, they must have been some bad people, huh? And he said, no. No, they, 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 were, they were killed, and so will all of you be unless you repent. See, that tower was a picture of judgment that was meant to warn everyone, not just speak of some particular sinfulness of someone. We're all sinners apart from Christ. We all deserve what's written here. So, church, these are, these are aimed at the world. Does that mean the church is never affected by these things? Not at all. Does not mean that. How many of you know that, that God can use one event in, two, in different ways? Right? So, so one event in your life, if you're a believer, how does God use bad stuff in your life? To make you more like Jesus? Right? Working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Is there any wrath remaining for you if you're in Christ? No. God's going to turn everything for your good and for his glory. But that same event that God uses for your good, he will use for judgment on those that don't know the Lord. And so as we see things like the parade of caskets coming out of Ukraine, should sober us and remind us truly our God is alive and he takes sin seriously. Before we move to the next seal, I, one other thought about just what we're reading here. Revelation retunes my mind. Are you feeling it right now? It challenges my thinking. It reveals the man-centeredness of my natural inclinations. It, God takes sin so seriously. Here is the Lamb pouring out judgment on sinful humanity for their rebellion. Conquest and war and famine and death. And these things are terrible. But they're not wrong. The Lamb is not wrong. The Lamb is not wrong. The Father's plan is not wrong. Let God be right and all else found to be liars. This is God acting rightly in the face of humans acting wrongly. And insofar as I struggle to understand His judgments, the fault is not in Him, it is in me. God is in the right. Revelation shows us that sin is more serious than we grew up thinking. Seal number five. What's going on in our world as God prepares this scroll? Well, we've seen the judgment on sinful humanity. Where is the church? How is the church pictured right here in this chapter? It's going to be pictured again in chapter seven, but we get a glimpse here, and it is a bracing glimpse of the church. Verse nine. 
when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. These verses are about martyrdom and those who had been martyred. The church, where's the church? The church is experiencing persecution in this world. Persecution unto martyrdom. Believers are suffering and they are dying. They're holding fast to Christ. They are persevering in their witness to Christ. They're bearing witness for Him. They're choosing Him over popularity and prosperity and ease and convenience and suffering and their families and death. Where's the church while Jesus opens these scrolls? She is suffering on the earth. And many are dying for His name. Woke up this morning. And in the short time I had between waking up and getting ready to come in here and get ready. I opened uh, internet on my phone and there was a news article this morning on one of the major news sites in our country about North Korea and Christian persecution in North Korea. This morning, they talked about a family that was condemned to go into their gulags because one of them had a Bible, including the two-year-old daughter of that family. And they estimate 70,000 believers currently in those gulags being tortured for his name. It could make you wonder where God is. Which is why it's in here. We don't wonder. I'll tell you. He's on his throne. Jesus is holding the scroll. And the cry of our heart, how long, O Lord? That cry is being sung in heaven too. As they cry out to him, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Listen, friends, God is not immune to the cries and the pleas and the prayers of his people here on earth or in heaven. In fact, we're going to see the next seal in a minute is his answer. To their, to their prayer. But meanwhile, God gives them a white robe to comfort them in his own righteousness. Tells them to rest in this blessed state right in the center of heaven, below the altar itself, right next to God. Never to be harmed again. Rest, wait. And then this phrase, rest until your number is complete. We don't know the total number of martyrs who will die for Jesus throughout time. But God does. He knows the number. And he knows it's not complete yet. When will God arise from his throne and act? When that number is complete. Here's a, here's a time marker in the book of Revelation. 
It's not so much time as it is what God's waiting for. One of the commentators said something like, the calendars of God's time are marked off in martyrs. Uh, if I could just say on the side, there is no hint of rapturing the church out of this tribulation. Instead, we are given what we need to persevere in the face of what God calls His church to walk through. And so, friends, persevere in your witness to Christ. I want to I take this idea of the number of those who will be martyred and consider it from two perspectives. The first, what if God knows that you are to be numbered among that list? Uh, has God numbered you? Then numbered you will be. Numbered you will be. Trust your God. Follow Jesus. Suffer for the one who suffered for you. Lay down your life for the one who laid down his life for you. And after you too have conquered, you will arrive right here and join this song and receive the comfort of the Lamb and of the one on the throne. On the other hand, has God not numbered you among the martyrs? Well, guess what? Then you will not be one. You will not be one regardless of the strength of your witness. You will not be one regardless of your boldness for Christ. You will not be one regardless of the fearless stand that you take. The Lord will keep you. He knows the number. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. Ours is not to figure these things out. Ours is not to know the number or to know whether we are among that number. Ours is to trust the one who knows and to persevere in our witness for Him. Which brings us to the sixth seal. This one, unlike the others, looks ahead in time and brings us very clearly to the final judgment. Let's read that again. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? I tried to show earlier how we could see that the four horsemen were partial judgments in God restraining them. The famine was not complete. Death was not given over to everyone. Here, however, it says very clearly, 
the great day of their wrath has come. This is the final judgment here in the sixth seal. Now the first three verses describe kind of physical phenomena that accompany God's judgment. A great earthquake. The sun becomes black. The moon becomes like blood. The stars fall. The sky vanishes. We sang that this morning. Did you catch it? The sky will be rolled back as a scroll. We just sang that together. Every mountain and every island will be dislodged. This, this is the response of creation when its creator arrives in wrath. And it, it's just fallen apart. It can't bear the weight of the creator who has arrived in anger. Creation cannot stand. He's not here for creation. He's not here to judge creation. He's here to judge the wicked. And yet, in His very presence, creation just melts. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether what was just pictured here is symbolic or actual physical phenomena. It is perhaps easier to think of an actual worldwide earthquake than it is to think of actually having stars fall to earth. Right? So, so, is this physical? Is this symbolic? I don't know. If it's physical, it seems really awful. And if it's symbolic of something, huh, even worse. Who's he here for? He makes it clear. The kings and the great ones. The generals and the rich. The powerful the slave, and the free. It's, it's everyone. Every strata of society. Everybody's targeted. Everybody's mentioned. From the slave to the king itself. Himself. And so, creation melts. God shows up. The feet of the Lamb descend and land upon planet Earth again. And Earth can barely hold Christ up. But then, the seal doesn't tell us what happens. The Lamb doesn't say anything. He doesn't speak. He doesn't begin His judgment. We will see that later in the book. For now, all we hear is the voice of those He came for. And they called out, Fall on us. Hide us from the face of Him who's seated on the throne. Who's that? Remember? Remember, Revelation 4, that's God the Father on the throne. Glowing so brilliantly you can't, can't look at Him. And, and, and they see Him. They know that He's there. Hide us from the face of Him who's on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? The sinful upon the earth are crying out in terror for the judge has finally come. Now, Listen, notice carefully what they're not saying. All right? Notice. They are not crying out in repentance. They are not asking for mercy. They are not declaring, truly you are the king. They're not saying, we were wrong. They're not asking for his mercy. They're not asking 
for His presence because they don't want it. All they're trying to do is flee from His presence. Trying to get away from Him. And there is simply nowhere to go. Who can stand? And again, Revelation confronts me. I am struck and surprised and dismayed. How serious is rebellion against God? How serious does God take sin? How real and unstoppable and terrifying is the day of His return in judgment? I don't even think much about coming judgment. Yet here it is. Here it comes. And will we not think of it? And will we not speak of it? And will we not have our lives conformed in light of this coming reality? And will we not warn others of it? Here again is the call to the church, friends. Persevere in your witness to Christ. We live glory to God in a day of mercy. When judgments are only partial. And they serve His good purpose to redeem people. The purpose is to call people to repentance. We live in a day of mercy, but we see here there is a day of wrath. Would we hide the day of wrath? Or will we speak of the day of wrath? People may mock. They will. People may think we're crazy. They will. People may dismiss us or accuse us or condemn us or martyr us. They will. But some may repent. Some may escape. Some may flee unto Christ before this day comes. Church, when you share the gospel, share the gospel. You know, it's good news. What's the, what's the good news? The good news has everything to do with the end of Revelation chapter 6. The good news is that this isn't for you if you're in Jesus. That's the good news. That's the only good news there is in the gospel. That's the good news. Would we preach another good news? You know, come to Jesus to, to have a better life. Come to Jesus, He'll heal you of your sicknesses. Come to Jesus and, and you'll you know, be a happier human being. Listen, often you come to Jesus and He does a lot of great things in your life. Amen. But none of those are the good news. And if we miss speaking the wrath of God, we have not yet spoken about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture does not avoid the topic of judgment. We should not avoid the topic of judgment. In fact, we must not avoid the topic of judgment. How will they avoid experiencing judgment? If those that know about judgment don't warn them. How will the world know that it's coming if the church is silent? 
So again, the call of the passage is that we would be faithful witnesses to the Lamb. That we would persevere in our witness to Christ. Church, why did, uh, why did Jesus come to earth? Why was He born of a virgin Mary? Lived a sinless life? Why was He called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Why did He become a, a servant? Why did He go to the terrible cross? Was it not that He could save us from Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17? Was that not what He came to do? Friends, that is what He came to do. Christ came. He came. <laughs> this is what the Old Testament prophets hadn't seen. They saw the coming day of the Lord. And they thought there was one. We're reading about that one here in the book of Revelation. Glory to God, there were two. And that the Lamb's first coming was not as the one who would bring the wrath of God, but as the one who would bear the wrath of God. Friend, if, if you are in Christ, this judgment described in Revelation 6 is not for you. It will never be for you. It cannot touch you. Why? Because it fell on Him. That's why. This is what Jesus did for you. Glory to God. And so, when our Lord returns, and we sing those blessed songs anticipating His return, how can you anticipate His return? We were just saying, it is well, right? The sky be rolled back as the scroll. The trump will resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Not, not that we are worthy of something different, but that He has saved us. And listen, the one who bore your sins, the one who bore your judgment, He's the one coming as judge. And He knows what He bore. And if He bore your judgment, He will surely keep you from judgment as well. Praise God for that. Which is why the church delights in and anticipates the day of the Lamb when He returns. Because He is ours and we are His. And so, friends, ours is to be faithful to Him. To take up our cross and follow Him to serve Him and to honor Him and to be a faithful witness to Christ as God does what He does with the scroll. Let's stand together. Worship team, come on up. Lord, these are your words. We sit under you. Lord, preserve and protect us from that inclination of our heart to pass judgment on your word. Position us rather to allow your word to speak to us. That we would think rightly of you as you are 
not just as we would hope you were, or would hope you would be. So Lord, conform us to your word, we pray. May we submit to your word as an act of worship. For you are the sovereign one, worthy of all praise, which praise we give to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen.